Welcome to the Park Road Talk Back Podcast. Today's podcast is a conversation with Russ Dean, co-pastor at Park Road Baptist Church with Amy Jacks Dean. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today Russ and I will take a closer look at the inspiration for and the message of his recent sermon entitled, We Are. Hello, Russ. It's good to be back with you again today. Bruce, thanks for doing this. I always enjoy my conversation and looking forward to this. Yeah, well, this was, uh, as, as most of your sermons are, this one was very provocative and, and thought-provoking. And um, I, th- I was wondering if you could get us started by giving us uh, a little background on the um, biblical text that I think is the basis for this sermon and, and where that text led you. Yeah, glad to do that. It's from the, the epistle of First John. There are three uh, letters um, uh, ascribed to John. And just briefly, Bruce, I'll say that we're, we're during this Easter season, we're talking uh, uh, from the, the uh, letters attributed to John, the Gospel of John, the Epistles of John, the Rev- and Revelation. Um, and, and there are scholars who believe that those writings came not from the man named John, the disciple, but from a community that grew up around his personality um, a- after the death of Jesus. And so uh, the, the emphasis for all of this is community, and that these texts grew up as the testimony, the witness of a community, not just of one writer. And so implications for community, for hearing this as community um, and, and, and what we believe as a community, what's important to us as a community um, is what we've been trying to emphasize. Um, and so, we, you know, this sermon gave me a chance to really broaden that understanding of community. Who is the community? Who are the children of God? Um, is it just Park Road Baptist Church? Is it just Christians? Is it much broader than that? And so the, the text was from from first John chapter three. Um, and the the phrases that I use, the word sentences that I use most from for the sermon, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. So that was the text that I used was the inspiration for for this sermon. So when you say we, I think the the, the first point that that we should discuss is is your interpretation of we. There's we, everyone uh, in the universe, everyone on the planet, versus we, the Christian believers of the day. How did you interpret, or how do you interpret this particular verse, and and how did you reach that conclusion? Yeah, I, um, Bruce, I tried to be fair in the sermon and say, you know, there, there are people that certainly understand the, the concept of children of God, that that means Christians, that once you accept Christ and become a Christian, then you become a child of God. Um, th- this text is certainly written to a Christian community, this community that was growing up maybe in Ephesus, um, you know, after the death of Jesus. Beloved, we are God's children now. That's, you know, that's who we are. Uh, they had an understanding of their community in Christ, and so uh, the, the specific, um, the specific subject and context of, of the text is to a Christian community. But I, I go way back, all the way to our creation story that says, you know, God created human beings, God created Adam, humankind, in God's image, and so uh, I take that to mean that all of creation. 
all of humanity represent children of God. No matter where we're born, no matter when, no matter how we understand the world, um, we who are Christians, we who are Buddhists, we who are Muslims, all people are children of God. And so um, I, I think that's a scriptural position. It goes back to my understanding of the creation narrative. Um, and uh, so that, that's, that's my understanding. All, all people are children of God. And you say that the, uh, in, the, in the course of the sermon, you say the honest truth is that I believe what I believe largely because of your parents. So you, you do adhere to the Christian faith. And I thought it was interesting that you acknowledge the fact that it's almost as if fate had a large role to play in, in who you are and what your faith is. Uh, does that in any way, in your mind, diminish Christianity in any way? Yeah, it, it does not for me. I think about my friend, the late Dr. Ken Godwin, who is in our church. And Ken always said, the most important decision you ever make in your life is choosing your parents. Of course, he's being a little ironic. Nobody chooses their parents. But who your parents are is the most decisive um uh, factor for your life. And people who are successful largely, you know, are the children of successful parents. And if you're born to an educated family and to a family with money and means and wealth and opportunity and understanding, you, your chances of succeeding are just dramatically higher. And so um, I, my, my statement that, that you just quoted, you know, who I am is largely because of who my parents are. I'm just trying to be honest about the, the fact that I was born to a Southern Baptist minister in South Carolina, you know, in the 20th century. That's largely why my understanding of Christianity is what it is. Now, I, I also say in the sermon, I have personally, for me, willfully acknowledged and affirmed, confirmed the faith that my parents gave me. But I also know the plain reality is that if my dad had been a Buddhist priest or, you know, somewhere in China, well, I likely would have never converted to Christianity. You know, I just think there's a there's a reality there. It does not, for me, diminish Christianity at all. I, I think the truth of Christianity is beautiful, and I think it's universal, um, and I affirm that. And, you know, what? I, I think it's important that we each make our own confession and confirmation of the faith that, that we claim. And, and for most of us, that will be the faith that our parents give to us, you know. Um, there was a scholar in the, the 20th century, I can't remember who it was, who had done a, a, a survey, and he, he came to the conclusion that 98% of the people in the world never leave the religion into which they were born. Mm. Uh, and that just... To me, we've got to reconcile with that reality. If I'm born to a Southern Baptist preacher, I'm probably going to stay Christian. You know, it, the likelihood of me becoming Buddhist is not very strong. Just as had I been born in another country, in another system where the whole world was wrapped up in Hinduism or Islam or whatever it is, you know, the chance of me converting to Christianity, uh, I just think that's a reality that we acknowledge. And that's actually points to the value, I, I suppose, of of a worldview with that we are all children of God, not Christians are children of God. Then that gives value to 
all forms of religion, all forms of faith as, uh, as coming from God. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I believe that God is bigger than any of our understandings. And while I am Christian and only Christian, and I, you know, Jesus is my way. It's the only way I understand. It's the only way I know. And I think his way is a universal way. I think it is universal, absolute truth, you know, but I don't think my understanding of that, um, well, that that doesn't need to limit God, you know? And so I, I think people, I think people come to God in lots of different ways. And, um, the more, the more people I have met who have different worldviews and who are raised in different ways and different places has just co- confirmed that for me, that, um, um, our approach to God is personal and individual, but it's also, it, it, it is, uh, subjected to the context in which we are born. Um, and I don't, I, I don't think, we have to claim any kind of exclusive hold on truth because, you know, I'm Christian. I, I, I just think God is bigger than any of our, bigger than any of our individual understanding. So you took your, this, this, um, this particular verse and the, the concept that we are all children of God, and then you applied it to a couple of very uh, vexing and, and prominent issues of the day. One would be immigration, specifically uh, the people, the adults and children coming to the southern border of the United States, and then uh, kind of our national response to um, LGBTQ community. Um, I, I thought it was interesting. You talked about the the problems with uh, immigration and treating uh, children and adults as political pawns. Uh, and then your response to the whole very complicated issue was uh, there can only be one response. Could you elaborate a little bit on what that response is and why you think it's the appropriate one? Yeah, I've just been so distraught, Bruce, by our national conversation about immigration. And uh, it, it is it is a thorny problem. It's always been an issue. Um, but in the last few years, it, it has it has uh, risen um, in in prominence, and the language that, that we've used, and the the hatred that I've heard, really the the anger associated with these people coming to our country. Um, I, I, I'm just I'm just very disturbed, and I'm disturbed by the way Christian people have gotten into that, and it's a political issue. Um, and you know, the bottom line for me is. I I think scripture is unequivocal about this. There are dozens of references to immigrants in the Bible. They're sometimes called aliens or sojourners or foreigners. And the, and the response is unequivocal, unequivocal. It's the welcome of the outsider because we were strangers too. You know, that's, that's the response because God gave us a welcome. And so we must welcome others. Um, and the life of Jesus speaks to me for that. All of the people in his day who would have been considered outsiders, the prostitutes and the sinners and the lepers and the, you know, the tax collectors, all these people that, that would have been outsiders from an insider Jewish perspective, Jesus welcomed. I, I can't imagine Jesus today having any other response other than we must lead with compassion for these people. Now, this is a thorny political issue, um, but I believe uh, 
if people of faith would lead with compassion, it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or an Independent. You, you can go at this and think, you know, disagree about political policy and, and what laws we ought to write, but we have to lead with compassion. And that is just not what I'm hearing today from much of the uh, of the Christian world, um, I'm not hearing a voice of compassion, and and so to me that is the that is the answer that bridges the political divide. I'm very happy for you to be a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, or whatever, and go at the, go at your political solutions however you want to. We ought to have a vigorous debate about how to go about that. But people of faith have only one response: we must lead with compassion. Which, you know, really kind of points to a, a, an issue in this country. And you, you quote the statistic that 50% of Americans no longer have a church affiliation. So if the church is a primary source of teaching or promoting or advocating for a compassionate worldview, but 50% of, of society is not affiliated with the church, where does that leave us? How How do we... Uh, get people to embrace the notion of compassion when they look at these particularly complex problems? Yeah, I, I think that is a, a question that is very much outstanding for us. How do we teach compassion? Uh, you know, I, I, I am such a believer in the church and not, frankly, not just from for religious reasons, not just so we can teach children about God and Jesus. I, I think we teach children how to sit still and how to be quiet, how to respect people when they're talking and, you know, how to how to talk to one another, how to deal with one another, how to be all of that. I learned in church. And so, you know, I think I, I think we lose all of that when we don't have church. And as a society, I, I think we're we're. Still trying to figure out. We're, we're trying to figure out how we're going to teach those kinds of values, those kinds of codes of courtesy and codes of ethics and codes of morality when we when the church is no longer doing it. And I'm afraid that the church has become so embroiled in political ideology and in the political fight, um, and people have seen the church as being so politically embroiled and hypocritical. It's like, why do I need the church? I can fight about politics without the church. You know, why do I need the church if they sound like everybody else? And I think we've gotten so embroiled in political controversies that that we've just forgotten the main calling which is for us to teach compassion the love of god and the way of jesus is what we we, we ought to be about in the christian church um and and so i think this is this is an open question for us bruce as the as the church continues to decline and as secularism continues to increase how are we going to teach our children those things Right, and we you, there was a discussion in your sermon about um, uh, gender and sexual diversity um, in the LGBTQ community. Uh, how do we, how do you deal with a society? People like me who grew up and gender was purely and solely and unquestionably binary. It was male or female, and now we live in a world where the definitions 
fortunately have broadened and our understandings have increased, but they they kind of play those issues play into our natural inclinations to discriminate and categorize people as some sort of other. How do you as a as a pastor help people get past that point? But Bruce, I, I go back to compassion. And I think we have to begin with compassion. Um, and I think if we can lead with compassion rather than with judgment, you don't have to understand being gay. I have no concept of that. I have no way of getting into the transgender mind. I do not have any idea what it would be like to say my gender identity doesn't match my body. You know, I have no idea. Um, but a long time ago, I gave up um, my primary response being judgment. Uh, you, you know, judgment based on, well, the Bible says or whatever. I, I, I just gave that up. And I just had to say that these people are telling me this is their experience in the world. And from the time that they had any sexual understanding, any kind of attraction, it was to same-sex people. I started listening to people like that, and I just had to say, I've just, I've got to quit judging people, and I don't know what that's like. I don't have any way to, to, to get into that, that mindset, that understanding. That doesn't matter, but I gave up I gave up leading with judgment and I just decided I was going to quit judging people and I was going to lead with compassion. And it has changed my understanding. It has brought me into conversation with more people. It has made me open to hearing people's stories. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think you can be I think you can be a, a, a fundamentalist in terms of, you know, you believe God created the male and female and, you know, that's all there is. There's just male. There's just female. I, I think you can hold that doctrinal position if you lead with compassion. Hmm. Unfortunately, that's not what people are hearing. And I can tell you that's not what people are hearing because when Amy and I preach or teach or I write about sexuality and express an openness to the LGBT community, people, the response is just like, I can't believe it. I've never heard anybody in the church say this. And I didn't think there was any room for me in the church. Um, and so the, the church is not leading with compassion. And if we would do so, you know, I think we could bridge the, the, these divides in politics and doctrine and, you know, lead with compassion and things will things will work out. But we're, but we're leading with uh, we're leading with judgment um, and people are running from the church because of it. So if we lead with with compassion and we, we set aside the judgment, is that do you think that's a more um, complicated approach to life? Do you think there's there uh, it's it's more difficult in a way or was it more difficult for you to make that transition or or does it actually open up things for you in a certain way? I, I think it really was a simpler, it's a much simpler way. I'm not going to judge you because your experience is different from mine, period. I, I'm going to lead with compassion. You are a child of God, period. I'm going to treat you with respect and with decency and with civility and honor, no matter who you are, whether I understand you or not. I, I've talked about this sometimes, Bruce, and I've said, 
I don't even understand being a woman. I mean, I can't, I can't understand being a woman. I can't understand being gay. I can't understand being trans. I can't understand being a black man in this country. I can't understand being a, an immigrant in this country. My experience as, as a white, cisgendered male, you know, Southern Baptist by birth and training and race, that's all I can truly understand. And when I finally opened up to just say, I, I I've got to quit judging people. Um, it just simplified the world a lot for me. I didn't have to go into this. Oh my gosh! Well, I just had this conversation with this person who says they were born gay and they've known it since they were five years old. But you know, the Bible says that's where it gets hard. That's where it gets complicated. When I started leading with compassion, it was like I'm going to accept this person, and I don't have to understand it. I don't have to understand it. I, I can let God sort that out. You know, let that be let that be your attitude. I'm going to let God sort that out. But I'm going to lead with compassion, and I'm going to treat people with respect. And it just simplified the whole world for me that way. At the end of your sermon, Russ, uh, you relate a, a, an interesting story about Andrew Young, one of the— uh, the early fathers of the civil rights movement, or, or more specifically about his wife, Jean. Could you could uh, share that story with us again here? Yeah, it's a really, really powerful story. And I heard Andrew Young tell this story in a Baptist meeting one time. And uh, um, he was traveling with his wife and their three-month-old child. They had been out of town and they were coming back to their small town, Thomasville, I believe it was Thomasville, Georgia. And as they were coming through the neighboring town, the, the traffic backed up. And, and when they got into the downtown, they realized that they were in the middle of a KKK rally. And the reason that there was a KKK rally is because Andrew Young had posted signs promoting voter registration and the KKK was fearing, you know, black people voting. And so that's why they were out. Um, and, and so he, he was right in the middle of this tension and this controversy. And he found himself in the middle of the rally. And so he told his wife and he, he laughed and he said to us, when we were dating, sometimes we'd go out in the backyard and we'd shoot 10 cans. And he said, my wife was a pretty good shot. And so I guess he I guess he had a gun in the car, Bruce. He said, I told my wife, you take this gun. I'm going to go out there and try to reason with these people. And I, you point that gun at him, and then I can reason with him. He, and Andrew Young says, because if he takes me out, then you take him out. And he said his wife looked at him, and she said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to point a gun at another human being. And Andrew Young says he shot back at his wife. That's not a human being. That's the Ku Klux Klan. And um, her next words were really powerful. And he said he had never forgotten them and that they had been important to him and guided all the rest of his work as a pastor and as a civil rights leader, as a a legislator. Uh, She said to him, look, don't you forget it. Under that sheet is the heart of a child of God. If you don't believe in what you preach, we need to quit now. And I said at the end of the sermon, you know, if Gene and Andrew Young can see a child of God under a KKK sheet, we can lead with compassion with anybody. And that's got to be our response, seeing people as children of God. uh, And I think all the differences will work out if we can just lead with that uh, approach. And I think your conclusion is that we is a very large word. Yeah, absolutely. I, I started with that. The we is a tiny word, you know, two letters, but it may be the biggest word of all. And really recognizing what we means and opening ourselves up may, may be the challenge for all of humanity. And, and certainly as our world gets smaller and smaller and immigration more and more and, you know, 
pluralism brings people with different cultural backgrounds and different religious perspectives. We is a a, a word that we need to learn to embrace. Well, we, uh, well, Russ, uh, we certainly enjoy and appreciate you spending some time with us today. It's, it's always a great conversation. Thank you. I, I, I do enjoy it, Bruce. I hope people are listening and enjoying and uh, always open to conversation. Send me an email, pick up the phone. I'm glad to talk. We invite everyone to share this podcast with friends and family. You can always find it at the Park Road website under the resources tab, or you can listen and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. That's it for this week. From all of us at Park Road Baptist Church, thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you.